0: This is the Book Riot Podcast, a weekly news and talk show about what's new, cool, and worth talking about in the world of books and reading. This is episode 222. We're recording on Sunday, August 13th, 2017. I'm Rebecca Shinsky. I'm here with Jeff O'Neill, and we're coming to you from bookriot.com.
1: Do we get to make a wish on 222? Is that how this works? It feels like we should. It's Mm.
0: like kissing the clock at 11.
1: Wait, 11, I don't know I, I, you kissed the clock at eleven. I don't. That, that's Do you another make thing. A wish. Did you have a fever dream about this?
0: Maybe so. <laughs> it's entirely possible. I don't even know what time zone I'm in right now. So,
1: <laughs> Rebecca and Clint and uh, our uh, our web developer Alex were out in Portland for company meetings, and so we're recording in odd hours and situations. We're both we're both holding our <laughs> podcast mics, talking to it like we're pet uh, Pat, uh, Pat, uh say Jack uh right now a little bit and it's it's a little strange so if we seem a little (laughs) off this week, it's it's because because we are are. yeah so anyway um that's what's been going on here uh there's a little little follow-up I was gonna do about some actually it might be more than I got a surprise link for you Rebecca oh fun yeah yeah it's not it's not like Tony Morrison new novel exciting but I think it's you'll you'll it's very wheelhousey, exciting for both okay. of us. So, right. are you well, excited I'm, now?
0: I'm excited. I'm that that soothes the trepidation of a surprise link.
1: Yes, right. I I, I knew to, I knew I needed to like prep you a little bit. So it's like <laughs> it's, it's like, not bad news,
0: and it's not like a quiz where I'm going to have to guess. things. No, in my no, no. This is this underslept. is all
1: this is all good things uh, okay. to get excited about. So why don't you do a sponsor first? All right. Yeah, we'll our first that.
0: sponsor this week is Genius the Con by Leopoldo Gu. This is the second book in the action packed Genius series book. book Book one was called Genius, The Game. It's out in paperback now. And the general idea here is that there are three brilliant teens from around the world who must work together to stop a vicious warlord, protect their families, and save the world in a fast-paced sequel to Genius, The Game. There's a diverse cast of characters, including uh, folks from China, India, and Nigeria, and this is a real page-turner. The book is about a high-stakes competition that is set against a literal ticking clock. There's a ton of great buzz for it. James Patterson said that it's exciting, provocative, fresh, innovative, and smart Smart Smart. The New York Times said that Goose characters are believable and immensely likable, and their friendship serves as a delightful and realistic anchor amid the fast-moving chaos. Science and technology may take center stage, but it's the less flashy craft of writing that sells the story. So you, what you're getting is a very well-written and fast-paced page-turnery, high-stakes competition. If this sounds good to you, you can pick up Genius the Con and its predecessor, Genius the Game, by Leopold Ogu, which are out now, we'll have a link to them in the show notes as well.
1: So, this is adaptation news that I just stumbled across this morning. Uh, I'm gonna go from I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna wade you in here, okay? So, it's coming to Netflix September 29th.
0: Oh, so we that's don't have to wait soon. that long,
1: don't have to wait that long. I, I haven't heard, I'm surprised, with, maybe you've heard of this, so I, I could just be uh, you know, PT barning it, and there's no elephant behind the curtain, but um. <laughs> September 29th feature length adaptation starring Robert Redford and Jane Fonda of <gasps> Our Souls at Night by Kent oh. And I just saw the trailer this morning. I'm going to put a link in the show notes too. How can, are you, you not
0: still crying?
1: Well, I see this I had a little time to prep. And <laughs> and the tr- the trailer is genius because it's just Fonda and Redford in in a, in like an old pickup truck driving mm-hmm. along the road and she like is slowly like sidling up to him. Like, that's the whole trailer. That's all that it is.
0: I thought you were going to tell me there was a Gilead
1: Oh, I know. It's close. I, I didn't dropping. want to see. I was. I know the Redford thing, because we talked about yeah, Redford as about a, a million years ago. We should play Reverend
0: Ames. Yeah.
1: Yes. But a close second, I'd say. Our this Souls is is at Night. This is very exciting. So there's a link in the show notes. I'll put it here. For those of you who don't know, haven't heard us talk about Our Souls at Night, by I can't if it's, it's like... A little more than a novella, it's like really a very, it's like one of those liminal mm-hmm. lengths of like 190 pages or maybe 201 or something like that. You know, I, I don't get up in arms about what's a novella and what isn't, except, you know, it's there is something to that. But it's, it's a beautiful book and a wonderful setup where basically these two widowers, uh, well, I guess you have to use, you're supposed to use gendered never, stuff.
0: I can never get the like, descriptive word Well, correctly. the widow
1: is a, 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 a female and a widower is a male. So anyway, two people who have lost their uh, long-time partners um, later in life. And basically, Fonda, the, the, the woman, knocks on the dude's door one day and says, hey, do you want to, like, have a relationship along these pretty interesting parameters? And they know each other, but they're not really friends, and they haven't really ever had any romantic interest before, but she's sort of casting about for a companion, you know, it's, a companion yeah, plus. It's, it's this of. like
0: beautiful and I think just so thoughtful look. Like, first mm-hmm. of all, we don't get very much fiction about older people That's in true. general. And you really don't get fiction and and movies about that take older people's relationships and needs for you know the same things that we all need: intimacy and closeness and physical touch. Seriously, that mm-hmm. it's it's a joke when you do see it. Right. And it's this—the story is just so lovely. I don't think it's spoiling anything to say that the thing she proposes is do you want to come over and sleep with me? But like actually sleep, like just lay down in bed and be together and have that comfort of a person close by and something more grows of this relationship. And they talk about their children and they talk about their grandchildren and they talk about what it is to be at the place in life that they're in. But it's just so it's like quiet and beautiful. And it takes seriously a part of life that we throw away. I think often in in fiction, but especially in TV and movies, I am so here for this. I
1: know I was, thinking we might need, since it's Netflix premiere, we may need to do like a live blog commentary or something like, that. <laughs> or we, just, might, like we can just like live stream watch along. I'll just cry watch for along.
0: 90 minutes. It's fine.
1: Yeah, so anyway, I'm really excited to see that. And what a great use of Netflix, too. Like, this isn't a movie that's going to, well, I mean, I, in, in a different time, this mm. is a movie you might have been seen, made in independent movie yeah, theaters or something yeah, like this, but it, you know, it's like seven characters, maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's very small. Judy Greer is well, I don't want to spoil it, but Julie Kerr plays the 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 signal younger mm. woman character, which mm-hmm. should be interesting. And oh, she's it's, wonderful too. It's this kind is kind of good an unusual; it's an, a little unusual role for her. Once you've read the book or have seen, I think, um, where she slots into that movie will be interesting. But uh, I was just a I, I was just delighted to see that. Uh, oh, and this, that's the 29th? The, yeah, this the delicacy of the yeah the delicacy of the. Teaser alone gave me such uh, I I didn't look at anything about who's directing it or who wrote the screenplay or whatever. All I needed was that teaser and Fonda and Redford. Mm-hmm. And, and the setup is that the, the guy is reluctant for reasons that I think make sense, but also you're cheering for them. And Fonda, you know, Fonda coming off, especially the Grace and Frankie thing, where she has... She's very done up. Um, mm-hmm. And this one, she's a little down home. Which yeah. is cool. She has
0: some real... I think that's been interesting too to like just go a little sideways into Grace mm-hmm. and Frankie. And we were talking about Grace and Frankie this we last were. week. We were. We
1: actually... Not, um, not, not just once either. It came up right? Uh,
0: but that... You, you still see some gravitas in Jane Fonda coming mm-hmm. out in Frankie in a way that we haven't seen her in a while. And I think these are two actors who are really at the top of their games in some ways Mm. at a later point in life. The whole thing is, I'm, this is great news, Jeff. I know.
1: It's (laughs) very very, good news, isn't it?
0: I'm very excited. I think that's just going to be lovely. And the book is short, like Jeff was saying. You have plenty of time to read it. Like, it's one of those books that I, it's like, I think it's definitely a one sitting read. If you have a quiet, I don't know, Saturday evening, pour a glass of wine and read this and have some thoughts and feelings about things and then, watch the adaptation I hope it brings more people to the book like well I'm the imagining- book is sold
1: like we talked about this I think I finally read it and I said have you read this And like oh my god how have we not talked about this yeah um and yeah, we you asked were like, and I it actually has sold this book
0: to you and I was like oh Jeff
1: <laughs> oh oh you sweet boy uh but it actually has sold a bunch of copies. So, uh, you know, Haruf is a, uh, the, the one, the um, plain, plain song. Plain song.
0: He got the Oprah bump years ago. Yeah,
1: a long time ago. And then his subsequent books have all been wonderfully beautiful. Uh, he passed away a, a couple years ago, sadly. But uh, a, a wonderful corpus of, mid you know, Midwestern slash Western fiction about working class people um, and poor people, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and... Older people, just just a great book.
0: You know, if there's not going to be a movie of "I Married You for Happiness," which mm. I don't know how you do that on film. I'd want really th- I want is... I want this
1: more than that, but I, th- that that oh. would be if I. Mm.
0: Well, actually, there's all those flashbacks in "I Married You for Happiness," so you could kind of do that, yeah. on film. But this, this, there's more narrative, there's more story here to follow. I think you're right that this is more built for that. But yeah, you I would could be you certainly could
1: do excited. "I Married for Happiness," and, and the thing that it all happens in her head. So you have to frame it in such a way. This, right, it would have this to be has like a very flashbacks. beautiful... I mean, you can see the beginning of Our Souls at Night is just... It has a short story's concision, mm-hmm. the whole thing, but it's longer than that because it kind of needs to be for what the story does. So but, what do
0: you think the opening scene is? I think it's maybe Jane Fonda on his doorstep.
1: Isn't that what it is in the book? I don't see why... I, I would find it hard... I mean, again, I'm, as you know, I'm not a filmmaker, but... Um, be hard to beat that of her just like mm-hmm. walking down. Isn't, I think the book opens with her just like kind of walking, walking down, down the, street the street and knocking on his door and, and that's it. Get going. This is excellent um, news. Yeah. So we're looking forward to that. I think if you haven't read the book, I, I might even reread it, but like
0: mm-hmm.
1: read it on the Sunday afternoon and then watch it that night. You know, kind of a twofer.
0: Oh, have it be fresh.
1: Yeah, yeah. You, you don't get to do this very often. Or you, since it's Netflix streaming, if you if you do have Netflix, I don't know if this is worldwide. You know, I'm sorry mm. to say it might be US only for September 29th or at all. But since it's any you want, you can wait, you know, and do a twofer that way. I, it's also one of those movies, too, or one of those books, too, that I, I could see the movie being enough that you may not need to go back to read the book, depending on how that's it's done. True. Like I, yeah, I'm not I was, one of these people that's like, Oh my God, the book is always better. You got to go read the book. A lot of times that's true, but sometimes the movie doesn't <laughs> like mm-hmm. wonder boys. I was talking to someone about this other wonder boys, my M- Michael Shabin. I like the book, but the, the movie, movie was totally d- it just, it did the thing, you it know, <laughs> like, yeah, it did that the movie thing. really
0: does do the thing. And so, I was sitting here thinking what, well, I want this to be a Netflix TV series. Like you could spin it out and to, and to show more moments from their lives. But I think yeah. a movie is the right choice. like, this is not a universe that needs to be expanded. You can show what happens between these two characters in about two hours and get right. the punch because you can get the full punch of it in a two hundred page book. Can. It's lovely. That's Spe- that is excellent news. Should we, while we're in the, I was going to say, speaking of things that
1: could be a whole universe, um, adaptation station. It av- came
0: out this week. Yeah, Ava Yeah, Duvernay, go ahead. You go ahead. I
1: did that one. You do this one. Sorry.
0: Yeah, she. Uh, well, she is. Producing and directing A Wrinkle in Time, which is coming mm-hmm. out, I think, pretty soon. And we just got news this week that her one of her next projects is an adaptation of Octavia Butler's novel, Dawn, which came out in 1987. It won the Nebula and—or she has won. Octavia Butler won the Nebula and the Hugo Award. And it's the first time that Butler's work is going to be adapted for That's TV. That's remarkable.
1: That's true. At all. Yeah, um, remarkable remarkable it's the first time anyway go ahead continue
0: oh let's see uh it's about an I, I haven't read dawn have you this is my i have read
1: dawn yes this is a
0: hole in my octavia butler oh you'll oeuvre.
1: like this you would like this
0: i'm reading it now it says uh, or i'm reading the description here oh. that it's about an african-american woman who works with aliens to resurrect the human race 250 mm-hmm. years after a nuclear war that does sound great i'm gonna have to read it soon but Great news, lots of interesting adaptations, but I think this is also a great direction for Ava Duvernay. Like yes. she's she came right off of Selma. She went into working on a wrinkle in time, which adapts a very beloved book mm-hmm. with a diverse cast. And it's an interesting next step that a wrinkle in time, you know, I think those characters are typically presented and read as white, and she's diversifying the cast. And the next step is let's just go more into mm-hmm. science fiction and fantasy, but right to a work by a woman of color that you don't have to defend your diverse cast like there were there's always weird noises made about when books yes. have white main characters and the cast is diversified, especially if you follow the news about comic book adaptations, you know, like it's cool that there's a dragon and everyone believes that. But when a white character in the comic book gets played by like, yeah, like a Chinese, Captain woman America in it can't be a, a
1: Hispanic dude, right? Yeah, it's, it's this
0: ridiculous outcry, and you don't have to do any of that explaining. Um, But how cool to see a major science fiction and fantasy writer who is a woman of color have her work adapted on the screen by someone like Ava DuVernay? Mm-hmm. Like that's really excellent. She's, she's getting really, like Selma was great and important, but the rest of DuVernay's choices about where she's taking her career are really interesting.
1: Well, it's time for Butler to get a big adaptation, Mm -hmm. whether it's on the, this will be a TV show. I mean, who knows? It could be HBO. It could be whatever. Um, Dawn is the first of three in what's called the, I don't think it's officially called the Lilith's Brood trilogy. I think that's kind of what it's become to be known as. There's two more books, um, adulthood, rights, and uh, imago. So it, it it would lend itself for to be a tentpole science fiction property for a HBO, a mm-hmm. Netflix or Hulu or whatever in the vein of The Handmaid's Tale, except that there's more than one book. So you've you've got you know several seasons of material to work with, and it's done. So you're, you're not having to do sort of the Game of Thrones forking that HBO has had to do. uh, Really fascinating stuff. And, you know, it's time to, Octavia Butler, if you're in the book world, or you're a science fiction fan, you know her name. But if you're not, she doesn't, her name isn't out there uh, on the street, like, you know, your Ray Bradbury's, your uh, Isaac Asimov's, um, people like that. But she should be. I mean, she was the first science fiction writer to win a MacArthur. She's won all the awards there are to do. um, A fascinating... Uh, an important author. And you know it's it's the it's the end stage of the uh, deification of a canonical writer, especially a genre writer. To get all your stuff made into TV, and I mean that's that's what happens. Um, yeah, and it's a sign I of a certain kind of thing.
0: This is a particularly good historical moment for this to be happening mm-hmm. as well. With and like, and we're recording this on the day after Nazis marched an hour away from my house in Charlottesville, Virginia. That. Butler uses science fiction and fantasy as so many genre writers do to address very, you know, they use these other worlds to address very real problems. And Butler goes to race and gender and patriarchy and political structures and hierarchies. And this is a time when those are very contentious things. Talking about them is very loaded and very difficult. And people are, you know, fighting even with people that they thought they previously agreed with to have great television and great movies give us a new way to talk about and think about these things or to introduce ideas to people who aren't going to sit down and watch a two-hour documentary but you watch a sci-fi movie that happens to like backdoor in all of this discussion about race and gender Um, I think also a really good moment to see that happen and I'm sure it's not lost on Ava DuVernay either like this she is a smart lady and she knows what she's doing making the choices that she's making with the stories that she's bringing out so Um, I think that's a great, I won't even say knock-on effect. I would guess that's relatively intentional.
1: Yeah, and um, just, uh, uh, sorry, Um, I lost my train. Oh, in a completely narcissistic piece of the uh, equation, we um, saw that uh, Ava, on her own Instagram, the screenshot (laughs) of the announcement of this was a Book Riot post, which, I mean, that's just fun. I mean, come on. Yeah. That's uh, That's fun. That's one of those
0: good fun things since we were, we had our executive planning meetings, talked mm. about what we're going to do with the business for the next six months, the next two years. We're rolling up on Book Riot's sixth birthday and something like a major director – like if we're going to have a narcissistic moment, let's just do it – something like the director of a major thing – Ever posting a link to a book riot thing yes. or a screenshot of it is of a category that I would never have guessed or imagined would be happening <laughs> six years ago. <laughs> you know, uh-huh. um, pretty cool to to see that and even have a tiny part in it. But I'll be, um, one, I'm going to read Dawn. On oh, sorry. Before go ahead. This ends uh, one
1: up. other one other quick one. Um, well, actually, there's several adaptation things I just want to mention in passing, real quick. I saw to um, I don't know if we've talked. Have, have you read Walter Isaacson's books? Do you know? Like, no. We've talked about the Innovators or. Uh, it, yeah, the innovators, which is the history of like making the invention of computing as we know it, and he did the Steve Jobs book. and He's done an Einstein one. Well, he his new book is coming out this fall, and it's about Leonardo da Vinci. And I just saw that it's been optioned for Leonardo DiCaprio to star in. So right. that will be something to pay attention to. Um, Isaacson does these big idea sort of driven biography slash nonfiction. They're very dad plus. Uh, and I mean that in a very uh, gentle, non mocking way because I'm I'm in the wheelhouse for these. Um, but that's going to be a you know this is Leo's next crack at a, at an uh, an Oscar, a, a little on the nose for him to play Da Vinci, but I I don't know maybe maybe I'm wrong about that. <laughs> yeah, so there's that be... one. Go ahead. And then the other one I was going to say is um, the. No, sorry, the Russo brothers who directed the Captain America movies, Mm -hmm. the the, and also doing the next um, Avengers movies, they have their own production company, and they just picked up the rights to William Gibson's classic sci-fi novel Neuromancer. Oh, which is going to
0: be a big deal.
1: Big deal. They're not directing it themselves; they've hired someone else that they admire to direct it. So for their production company, kind of like uh, uh, Duvernay, I don't think is directing or writing. the the Butler series, but it's part of her production house. Like she's the engine that's making it happen. Um, This is a similar deal for the Russo brothers, but Neuromancer is, you know, it's in, in the vein of, you know, the classic contemporary, well, sort of contemporary science fiction, so far as the author is still living, but like Neuromancer is a big deal in the science fiction world. And that will be a very interesting process to watch that happen. So there's adaptations all over. This is raining adaptations, uh, all over the place. Um,
0: I think we should probably sh- do our next sponsor.
1: Should we do our next one? I'm, I've lost track of time, but we can certainly, let's certainly do that. Oh, because we have got to talk about Lavar next, and we're going to need a few mm-hmm. minutes to chew over that. <laughs> <laughs> Today's show is sponsored by Book of the Month. Book of the Month is a rapidly growing service with a simple goal. Make sure you love what you read. They search high and low for new books you wouldn't have found on your own with a special focus on debut authors. Then you browse the five best books of the month and you get your favorites delivered to your doorsteps. Pricing starts at just 10 bucks for new hardcover re- releases that usually cost more than 15 bucks at least anywhere else. So Book of the Month is a great value. So whether you get your book once a month or once a season, the exclusive prices will save you tons. So on Book Riot Insiders, on the, it, the new selections come out on the first of the month. And her own liberty is part, you know, she's, she picks some sometimes. Does she pick them every month, do you know?
0: Uh, well, so the way it works is they have a big panel of judges. Or she has, she of,
1: picks, does she pick one? Oh, you're right, you're yeah, yeah, explain Yeah, it. yeah, yeah, this, yeah. They, they have this big panel of
0: judges who read a bunch of books and nominate. Each of them picks a book that they want to champion each month and they nominate the book. And then Book of the Month also has sort of celebrity judges that come in for Mm one-offs and they have more judges than they have room for a selection there's five options each month so i don't know the total number of judges but let's imagine there are 15 um not every judge gets their pick in each month but liberty has a book i think pretty frequently um and if you are a book right fan and you know liberty you know that's a very eclectic option like set of suggestions you're going to get just from her so yeah she's part of this too
1: so you get your first book for just $10 at bookofthemonth.com slash bookriot. That's bookofthemonth.com slash bookriot. Tagline, bound to delight. A subtle publishing pun. I approve. Bound to delight. So that's, thanks so much to Book of the Month for uh, sponsoring the show.
0: All right. Let me tell you about LeVar Burton. This is so, it's so weird. Like,
1: It's a strange story.
0: Okay, so the headline is that LeVar Burton is being sued for using his reading rainbow catchphrase, but you don't have to take my word for it. On his new podcast, LeVar Burton reads, and we've talked about the new podcast. LeVar Burton reads you a short story once a week. Uh, I have not had a chance to listen to this yet, but by all accounts, from Book Riot listeners mm-hmm. who have told us, that it's delightful. And he's choosing a really interesting and diverse selection of stories. So you've got that. He developed this tagline, the but you don't have to take my word for it. On On Reading Rainbow, which we grew up on, and many of you listening to this grew up on. And he's being sued by WNED-TV Buffalo, which is the TV station there that, uh, I guess, produced the original Reading Rainbow. Yes. And they're contending that, you know, because... They, apparently, Burton's company, which is called RR Kids, previously obtained a licensing agreement from WNED, but then claimed that the host, WNED claimed that the host breached their deal by allegedly attempting to produce a Reading Rainbow revival for Netflix without WNED's involvement. So basically, the station is saying that they own the rights to this catchphrase because of how the original Reading Rainbow Mm -hmm. came into being. And here's the part that is really baffling to me. They say, as evidenced by Mr. Burton's conduct, blah, 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 um, his goal is to control and reap the benefits of reading Rainbow's substantial goodwill, goodwill that unquestionably belongs to WNED. And that may be legally true, Mm. but I got to say, like, if you're a public broadcasting station and you think that anyone knows you for reading rainbow and not LeVar Burton, like where the actual goodwill is placed is with LeVar Burton. So like I understand the legal impetus for WNED, like what the legal argument is for them being able to do this. But I have to say, I think it's incredibly misguided. Like no one is going to be on Wned's side here who has any connection to reading rainbow.
1: Yeah, this is a bummer. Uh, I mean, if you're WNED, I guess you... I mean, I'm guessing that they fronted the money and LeVar Burton was the actor that they picked. I don't know. I'm, I'm Maybe I'm wrong about this. Or
0: he proposed it and they paid for it or who knows.
1: I don't know. I mean, who who knows? But like, they're the producer. It's probably read the rights to Reading Rainbow are theirs. And probably... I'm not really good on copyright and intellectual property. It's a It's a very difficult field if it was something that was part of the show every week as it was, it sounds like they might have legal standing here. Mm-hmm. But do you really want to be in the business of doing this? Like, right? like are, you... are they really going to get that? How much? I mean, look, LeVar no Burton is, reads no the podcast. It seems side. to be doing very well. But how much are they really going to get out of this? I, I... And on the other hand, he, he doesn't own the rights to Reading Rainbow. He doesn't. So it's tricky. I think it's tricky. I mean, you get to say "Reading Rainbow for adults" in a pitch, like no one's going. Netflix doesn't go out and sue people that says Netflix for books, right? Or Uber doesn't go out and sue that says Uber for personal chefs or whatever. Like those kinds of things gets bandied about all the time. It's tough. Like that he uses the phrase from his. He uses the catchphrase as his own personal phrase, but like. Are well, people there for the ca- on the on, Laver- no, on the right. Burton side? Both well, a little bit is like people don't need his catchphrase to like LeVar Burton, like he doesn't need to say that. Like right. it's like, LeVar what, Burton.
0: What changes? Assume that WNED right. wins this case, which they it does sound like they have. You know a legal mm-hmm. right to be pursuing it, and that they very well may own the rights to that catchphrase. But like, what changes? They get him to stop saying it, and he gets to keep being Lavar Burton. That they want to cut.
1: That's what they want. They want They want to. Like, they want to. They want to wet their beak.
0: Right. And if you're Lavar Burton, you probably like the smart thing at this point is to be like. Okay, I'll just stop saying you don't have to take mm-hmm. my word for it, and I'll keep being Levar Burton that everybody right. loves. Like, there's just no. This might be legally a good course of action if they're trying to get a cut of it or just trying to get him to stop using a phrase that they own. But there's no social sympathy or capital for WNED involved in this. Like, I, I just, uh, what's the point?
1: My, my guess here is this is this is beef. Like they yeah, say, it goes this, back to it, 2015, and they.
0: It smells. He's been like, trying
1: to get a Reading Rainbow like thing to happen, and like who owns it? He's the he's the face of Reading Rainbow. Someone over there is like, but it was our show. We create, you know, like this is this has got personal beef written all over yeah, it. To
0: yeah, yeah. This it, this smells like a bigger problem. This is like the argument about the dishwasher that's not about the dishwasher. Yeah, right. You know that, and imagine wned like they probably do want a new generation of reading rainbow but i can't imagine like that that's a reboot that people want without levar burton attached to it if it's like you know reading rainbow hosted by mario lopez no
1: (laughs) well but i mean but but also to be perfectly frank like reading rainbow was picked at like aimed at like seven-year-olds seven-year-olds don't care about levar burton like that, that's not why seven-year-olds were watching Reading Rainbow in the first place because they like the show. They're not like, oh my God, LeVar yeah, Burton, who's I haven't even heard of.
0: But now you're after those seven-year-old's parents who are our age and have all this LeVar Burton attachment.
1: Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I think it could be done. I, I think probably LeVar Burton, I mean, he may also have some skin in the game for that show too. Maybe they can't produce one without his say-so. Mm. You know, I mean, maybe it's one of these, they both control enough of, of, of the ingredients that the pie can't get made. Um... Maybe because we'll be able
0: to do like an annotated episode about the contention. I'm of reading saying rainbow this is what I'm years.
1: saying. But, but but tell me tell me that a new reading rainbow hosted by Donald Glover people wouldn't watch that. Oh, that's They true. would. They would watch. You get the right host, people would watch it. Um, or at least they wouldn't watch it for reasons that aren't about it's not having LeVar <laughs> <burn> it, <laughs> Uh If that makes any kind of sense. All right. So we've done a lot. There's a lot of TV and movie stuff. Let's get to book stuff. Let's get to the nitty gritty. Do you know this Shirley Ellis song, Nitty Gritty? Shirley Ellis, who wrote the Name Game. Let's on. Let's get down to the real nitty gritty. Oh
0: yes, I do know that. Uh,
1: so this is Philip Pullman, um, renowned writer Philip Pullman has called for a reintroduction of a minimum pricing for books to protect independent bookshops, calling them the lantern bearers of civilization with an S. Like, that always looks wrong to me. This, the Brits. Oh right, because this is from the bookseller. Yeah. Which is in so UK. basically, um, in, in the UK at least. The, there was a, there was something called the Net Book Agreement, which was in effect until 1997, so 20 years ago, which meant that all books were sold at the same price, aside from a, occasional discounting in, sp- in special circumstances. And this is Pullman's quote, There is an insane, inhumane, and perverted belief that the market knows best, and that it is something natural, like gravity, which we can do... D- Nothing to alter, but of course we can alter the way the market works. It's a human construction, and the reason he would like the prices to be fixed is that so independent booksellers could compete with uh, well. In the UK, is it has Amazon in much the same way that the US has Amazon. Um, Amazon UK is, is a major force in a lot of ways. I, I've heard a bigger force than it might be here, but I'm not. Sure, I, I don't know that might be anecdotal, um, a small sample size bias, but so that independent bookstores which Typically charge full retail price, have to compete with Amazon, which doesn't sell often deeply discounted, um, possibly even loss letters, de- lost letters depending on the specific contract, things like that. But if all books had to be ch- all co- all copies of the book had to be sold for the same price, then Amazon online discounters' advantage doesn't go away because there's other things about buying online that are nice, like you don't have to leave your house, it gets shipped to you for free if you have Amazon Prime, things like that. But at the very least, the price thing goes away. Uh, largely goes away, and really, it's 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 about sub. This is about protecting the independent books industry, which, as we've talked about on Annotated, is <laughs> I don't know that it's necessary. I don't know that it's good. I mean, I'm not sure about this. You protect, you, you would do something for. Independent bookstores, and also, I would also say big chain physical bookstores, right? You know, the Barnes and Nobles of the world would also benefit from this. They do a lot of front list and special um, bestseller discounting, but if you go back into the stacks, you know, just the hardcovers are on the shelf there aren't typically discounted. So, yeah, uh, what you do you think about this?
0: You know, you can't roll back disruption, which is what this seems looks hard
1: like to do, yeah.
0: To me, that Amazon has changed things. That is undeniable. The internet beyond Amazon has changed things. Also, undeniable even if i think even if you fixed the price of books you still have people who are buying so many other things that they need from amazon that they would just throw their books into the cart anyway like there's just this just feels misguided and the best thing about it to me has been that there has been a lot of like side eye made at this
1: call Mm -hmm. over the
0: last week or so it wasn't like a universal yes that's what we should do save the independent bookstores which also i think this falls into that Distinction that you and I like to make about this might be the thing that's good for booksellers. In some way, price fixing might be good for publishers, but is this a thing that's really good for readers? Readers, yeah. I don't have the stats about the percentage of book sales that come out of independent stores in the UK, but it's Mm -hmm. like 6% of the market Mm -hmm. in the US. And I don't think we need to be rearranging any market to favor a 6% minority or to make sure that that 6% continues to be able to do what it does. Readers are doing just fine. We have a million ways to get books. And that's been a a really, really positive product of the disruption that Amazon and the internet in general have led to. And we've talked about that extensively on this show about People in book deserts can get books in ways they couldn't before. But this like I just want to object first to the notion of booksellers being the what is it, torch bearers, lantern bearers of civilization. A little strong. A little little bit, that's a little you're coming on a little heavy there, Philip Pullman. Mm. Like I you know, I love me a bookseller. Um, I think books are important, obviously. But let's maybe like this, I don't know. I'm feeling ungenerous this morning, apparently like maybe go find something else to worry about.
1: Uh. Yeah. I mean, though, when you said you can't roll back destruction, disruption, you're right. But also you're kind of wrong. Like in, in so far as like utilities originally were private entities, right? You know, water, um, electricity, at least here in the U S that became sort of quasi public, right? They're regulated very strongly. So you can do some things after changes happened, but generally speaking, it's not to keep prices high. <laughs> like that's the weird part. It's like you know, part of part of regulating the electric the electrical systems or um, railroads or anything like that becomes a de facto public utility is to keep is to protect consumers, not to protect companies. And, and that's right. what's a little bit odd here. It's like so effectively you're going to raise prices on all buyers.
0: To protect independent bookstores. To protect independent
1: bookstores. Which, again, I can see the logic of what they want to do, but I still think it's a question about... This is a question I don't have a good answer to myself, is on the whole, has Amazon and online book selling been good, neutral, or bad for reading culture? Not publishing. Take that out of the equation for me, because I'm of the opinion that at the very least, those are there's a questionable linkage between those two things. Maybe they're more co- uh, correlated or uh, causally related than I imagine, but I think you can make a case that the health of the publishing industry is not necessarily uh, synonymous with the health of the reading industry, and vice versa, uh, for that matter. Has it been because the argument here is that Amazon on the whole is bad for reading culture. And I just don't think that's clear um, at all. Yeah, and I'm this, not sure that it's clear that it's been good, but I don't think it's clear at all that it's been bad. So that's tricky. That's yeah, really tricky. This
0: particular argument of raise prices on everyone to protect independent booksellers feels a lot like not seeing the whole picture, not seeing the forest for Mm -hmm. the trees here. If you raise prices across the board, you're very likely to lose sales. But Mm -hmm. things that would have been bought in bookstores, now people are going to buy from libraries. Like, I think there is something to be said for what, like discounting, whether you're buying a washing machine or a book or a pair of jeans or whatever, discounting makes the purchase of an item available to a chunk of people who wouldn't have been able to purchase it at full price. Mm -hmm. And if you're talking about book sales, discounting helps that in some way that a person who wasn't going to buy a $25 hardcover because they can't buy a $25 hardcover has the option available to them when it's, 30% off um, where previously, if you couldn't buy the $25 hardcover, you're going to the library or you're not consuming the book at all. And this like this that independent booksellers are the place that philip pullman is putting his priority here like this kind of feels telling to me of what are what are your Hmm. priorities are you thinking really about readers and about like the individual humans who need to go buy philip pullman's books and have access to them if he wanted as many people as possible to be able to read his books this is not the case he would be making
1: yeah, it's it's super interesting. I don't know what the the trajectory of the number of independent bookstores in the UK has been over the last 20 years. If you've listened to Annotate, you know I do know that intimately <laughs> at this point. Um, I do know that there are some things going on around business rates. Is something I don't really understand uh, how this works, but there's been a raise recently in the UK that's threatening some bookstores. But in, on the whole, have they had the same sort of cratering and then mild to relatively strong rebounding in the number of stores? If something else happened there, that I don't know, um, and I haven't done the the homework to find out. Maybe the situation is different here. Um, But like, as we said in Annotated, the way that U.S. bookstores have staged a, a nice little comeback is to not worry about price, too much, to, to mm-hmm. not peg their value proposition to being about price. It's about engagement, being part of a community, about being services, about having a bookstore in your town, and that that is a good thing for your town. And so people will, of their own volition, choose to pay a little bit more for their books because they know they're they know they getting other things out of it. This is basically forcing people to pay more for their books elsewhere so that their BATNA, their best alternative to no agreement, is to come sur- shop at the <laughs> local store, which I, I don't know. I, I'd be curious to see. I'd love to A-B test the universe and, like, what snow globe universe could I watch th- them do this? Like, what would actually happen? I, I'd be fascinated to know. I think, I think on the whole this is a bad idea. Yeah. Um, I do think, though, that the time is coming not to make laws like this, but that Amazon is going to need to be under more federal scrutiny itself. And, yeah, it I think that's something like, that's going to need to happen.
0: It looks like that is going to happen probably yeah. sooner rather than later from things that I've been reading as well, but probably not in, in this way. I just, Philip Pullman, I just think you're
1: wrong. There. Yeah. Let's, let, let's, 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 let's crack on Amazon for its actual individual practices rather right. than making giant laws that... Bigger fish you know, fry. And right, like yeah.
0: you, there are hooks to hang scrutiny yes. of Amazon on that are much bigger and more important than Amazon hurts independent booksellers. Mm-hmm. So go, I mean, go for those, like ask the actually interesting questions. This just is, you know, I just think you're worrying about the wrong thing here, Philip.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, 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 speaking of things, I don't know. I mean, again, I'm not a pet owner. Uh, dogs are fine. That that's where I come <laughs> down on. Uh, but how to, what, <laughs> what dogs are fine. Dogs are, dogs, fine. Dogs are so fine. <laughs> Don't at me! Oh, please don't! Don't at me! Uh, but Audible, Amazon's own. Speaking of Audible, um, wants your dog to listen to Pride and Prejudice and other classic literature, the company's teaming up with the famed dog whisperer Caesar Milan on an aptly new ser- aptly named news service called Audible for Dogs. Uh, right, okay, yep. uh Is it anxiety your pet feels can result in bad behavior. So if you have, I guess, while you're gone. An audio book playing, uh, that can be nice. I don't know why it needs to be for dogs. I mean, right. it, you just play your audiobooks this and is, let the dogs listen to them. But I want to say, go.
0: like in the while we're saying, don't at me. We are aware of the objections that many people have to Caesar Milan's practices. I am not well versed enough in them. Oh, to, are there
1: objections? I didn't. I didn't see yeah, that.
0: Yeah, oh, I got a lot of tweets about it last oh,
1: week. Oh, okay. Um,
0: I'm not well versed enough in him to have an opinion about that but this is not an endorsement of caesar milan or whatever this audible for dogs is actually i'm side-eyeing this pretty hard like first of all the first line in this piece is you think your dog is pretty smart i live with an 11 year old basset hound and no but also like i think this is misguided first of all because you don't need special stories just for dogs so audible for dogs is unnecessary but what does this achieve that leaving the TV on doesn't achieve Mm. and that's the thing that people like I don't do it because my dog needs a Xanax to calm down Mm. Um, but I do know people who leave the TV on when they leave the house they think it calms their dogs down but I have not seen and if you do know this answer please do feel free to let us know I have not seen actual science that like leaving something on with a voice will calm down an anxious dog who has separation anxiety Mm. or who you know is missing their owner like dogs destroy things when their people are gone because they're they've built up too much energy and they're bored or they have separation anxiety and like the voice on a tv isn't going to do that their person needs to come Back.
1: Mm. Like,
0: th- I guess they are, they're citing a study here. Audible cites a study from Hartbury College in the UK that showed that listening to audiobooks rather than music reduced stress in. Animals. It had a hundred dogs. Um, there was a follow up with Caesar Milan's Dog Psychology Center that had a hundred dogs, and seventy six percent of dogs' uh, owners who played audiobooks reported an increase in calm, relaxed behavior over a four week period. But like,
1: mm. without
0: some hard methodology, corner control about group, that, placebo
1: effect. Yeah, yeah.
0: If someone is like, "Hey, start playing these audiobooks for your dog," and in four weeks, we're going to ask you if your dog is calmer. Guess what's going to happen? Like. Mm-hmm. This May, means, and also the,
1: the owners can feel better because they like the idea that their dog is listening to the soothing, the dulcet tones of Rosamund Pike reading Pride and Prejudice. Right, and this So is, they're going to perceive... I mean, whatever. Like, I, I don't we, know. This
0: is just guilt. This is dog owner guilt <laughs> into spend fourteen ninety five a month to play something for your dog. Like, what is Audible going to do that you couldn't get on NPR? Well, that's you just what want I'm saying. saying. Leave on NPR voice. or go
1: to LibriVox and get free audiobook versions of classic books that you've listened to and you don't want to listen to yourself. Your dog isn't gonna get tired of the Count of Monte Cristo, so right. you know you
0: just. All day long.
1: You know, it's a bad sign when you look at a headline and you're like, "This could be an April Fool's joke." <laughs> like, this is a real thing. But if this were a April Fool's joke, I wouldn't be that surprised either. <laughs> like,
0: the way that this is in the agenda, I put it in as Audible for Dogs is a real thing.
1: It's like, a real thing. Come it's on. It's a real thing.
0: Usually, we're pro the Audible experiments. They usually have, you know, for the most part, interesting experiments and good ideas. But I've just, I have a lot of side eye. Like, there are several layers of side eye for this before I even get to the ways in which Caesar. And you know,
1: it's one thing too, like when we're doing like an ad read for Audible or something like that, and they're like, here's all the ways you could use audiobooks. It'd be right. one thing if it was like a, a bullet point of that, was like, you know, and if you, some people like to leave their TV on for their dogs, you might try leaving on audiobook instead because, you know, it's not as crazy, commercials, whatever. But like, this is like, there's a video for it with a dog. It's like just a little bit too, it's a little bit, I'm a little, it's a little credulous it for is. my particular. Uh, take on it. But again, I don't know the science. I don't know Caesar Milan could be a building. monster. He could be a saint. I have no idea. I'm not really talking about that. Just the they're trying. I think they're trying to find ways to pitch the idea of an audible subscription having value. And this is, me, me think, the the, uh, the terrier doth bark too much yeah, yeah. Uh, with this, this is, particular case.
0: It's bad idea, committee. Like, somebody yep. was like, what if we marketed Audible to dog owners? <laughs> and, like, somehow everyone in the room agreed that that was a good plan.
1: <laughs> but people do... I mean, the other thing, though, is that I can kind of see the logic of it, too, because people spend money on their pets. Like, big, big money. So... They're like maybe we can get it and make it part of people's like pet wellness regimen or whatever it else it is. So there's it's like one of those things where like, you can kinda see how it happened, but it also feels like someone should be like, But wait a minute, for real? Audible yeah, for dogs? That's, that that's the words a, that we're gonna what right. we're gonna put out there? it's a
0: bonus benefit like you're saying like if it were one bullet point in things you could do with audible you know it's like you can they have the great listen guarantee you can return your audiobook at any time you can bookmark your favorite spots like um michelle you've said has her favorite chapters of the night circus bookmarked so Mm -hmm. you can revisit those and oh by the way if your dog needs company you could just leave your audible account playing and keep your dog company like that makes sense to me but this like make it a special separate thing like also if you think your dog is smart enough to be listening to jane austen and distinguishing between jane austen and npr i have news for you
1: <laughs> or just someone reading the phone book right yeah i mean i i don't mean to slag on your dog but like i'm not sure <laughs> uh anyway okay let's do our third sponsor before you know people come after us um uh, Caraval by Stephanie Garber is our third sponsor today. The New York Times bestseller follows two sisters as they take part of a legendary competition, not knowing what is real and what is magic. With adventure, romance, and suspense, you'll have a hard time not getting caught up in this game. It's a New York Times bestseller. It's out in paperback. Still tons of buzz. Tons of it. People are still talking about it. Adventure, romance, suspense, the legendary competition, the two sisters, so they're, they're, they're kind of competing, but they're close. What's going on? And there is a book, too, coming. I don't think we've talked about that. There's another one coming up, pretty sure. So it's time to, you know, if you're into the big YA titles, the big fantasy titles, the big buzz titles, you might give Caraval by Stephanie Garber a chance. Available wherever books are sold right now.
0: Where do you want to go Uh, next? We're kind of
1: mopping up here a little bit. Uh, let's go to... I don't know. Where do you? Oh, that's library stuff. How about library okay. stuff? Yeah, yeah. You found so, this, leak. Do you want to talk yeah, about this? Yeah, I did one? find
0: this. So, New Yorkers now, the headline here is New Yorkers can stream thousands of movies for free with a library card. So, starting last week, anyone with a New York Public Library or Brooklyn Public Library card has access to a service called Canopy, spelled with a K, which is a streaming service that offers 30,000 movies and other forms of media. At Mm -hmm. no cost. Feature films, documentaries, foreign language movies, training videos. It also includes the Criterion Collection, which that's fancy stuff. Important classic and contemporary films. And the videos are also provided with captions and transcripts that are compatible with assistive technologies. There's not any information. This story is from NBC New York here about the origins of this program. Um, I would love to know how it got developed because they clearly did their homework to make sure Mm -hmm. that it was accessible um, to folks who need assistive technologies. But basically, if you've got an NYPL or a Brooklyn PL library card, you can try this out. Uh, you get three days to watch each film, and you can watch up to 10 a month on any device, including smartphones, tablets, PCs, and smart TVs. So if you're listening to this and you are in New York or you're in in Brooklyn, you go to nypl.canopystreaming, and again, it's Canopy, K-A-N-O-P-Y, dot com, or you can access it via the library's articles and databases Mm -hmm. page. Um, Basically, anyone can get a library card using the Simply E app, so you don't even need to go into the library to do it and then upgrade the card for free at a branch to get access to Canopy. This is rad and it feels like what the future is supposed to be that you used to be able to go into your local library and rent the like well DVDs but like in my childhood we rented VHS tapes from local libraries and you can still do that but that's not really how a lot of people consume their media anymore being able to stream through the library service instead of having to pay for Netflix, Amazon, Hulu um, or being able to stream when you can't pay for Netflix, Amazon, yep. Hulu and still tap into what's happening in the culture and watch movies and all that stuff. I think this is very cool.
1: You might also go see you go to if you go to canopystreaming.com with canopy with a k You can go see if your local library offers it. Um, The Multnomah County Library here in Portland does not, but I saw that there's some other college libraries just by typing stuff in that do offer it. So if you're interested in this, go to CanopyStreaming.com and hit the Watch Now button. It's going to ask you to put in your library, and it'll search. And if it says you don't have it and you want your library system to have it, they have... Um, conveniently for Canopy, a nice easy way to recommend to your <laughs> library system to get this. Yeah, it's you know it's one of those technology problems, right, where you, you gotta figure out gating and metering and how you're gonna get paid and how you're gonna so it's not like Netflix streaming in which you can just watch it anytime. You still have to quote unquote check it out. Like only so many people apparently can watch have the right to stream the movie over a given time, and you have once you get it, you have three days to stream it, and then it reverts back to the queue, apparently. I was poking around a little bit because I was curious how they were going to handle this particular thing. So um, you can watch, as as Rebecca said, up to 10 things per month. It's also gated in that way. It's not all you can eat, like physical copies at a library or other streaming services like that. So it has some conditions around it, but it's at no additional cost to you, the library holder, uh, I, I guess presumably outside of whatever increased taxes, you know, they go into the library. You, you don't have to pay a fee in addition to what is already being paid into the library system. Uh, really interesting, yeah. Really, and thirty thousand is, it's not a huge list, but it's pretty big. You know, it's not it's not an eye popping, you know, sort of. It'll thing, keep but you it, busy for a while. Uh, the Criterion Collection alone, especially interested classic movies and art movies, is a you know that that is a big selling point alone, especially since it's included in your library if you are one of our
0: listeners who is a librarian in new york or brooklyn because we know you're out there i would love to know a little bit more about how this came about like Mm -hmm. is canopy the only good option for it we haven't i haven't heard of this happening in other big library systems so like maybe canopy is the one that's rolling out and we might see canopy become for movies what um overdrive is for book Mm -hmm. rental uh digitally through libraries but i would love to know more about that. Very cool. Um, Let's end else? with
1: something funny. Let's end with the funny one. Uh, romance novels romance generated novels. by artificial intelligence. <laughs> this is, I think this is funny in a uh, laughing with you kind mm-hmm. of way, just because it's, you know, it's funny. So what happens here is this um, woman, Elle O'Brien, she's a uh, software developer and computational sciences. The post on Medium will be a link in the show notes. She gathered over 20,000 Harlequin romance novel titles. First of all, that there are 20,000 Harlequin romance novel titles is amazing, and she gave them to a neural network, which is a type of artificial intelligence that learns the structure of texts. So then it starts stringing together the words in a way that sort of uses the the formats and syntax so of, of of romance <laughs> titles to d- develop new ones. So there's stuff like, you know, the unlikely baby. Uh, the Baby Doctor Seduction, Becoming the Baby Count.
0: I like the uh, Baby Barbarian. The That's Baby really Barbarian.
1: Good. That's pretty good. The princess uh,
0: Virgin's Virgin.
1: <laughs> yeah, I like the Princess's Virgin's Virgin. I don't even know what that means. I'm in. Uh, the Princess Rounds Brothers, uh, Virgin Viking. The Billionaire's
0: uh, Marriage Valley.
1: <laughs> <laughs> the English Millionaire Investigator. Some of these are funny, and some of these are like, "This is a good idea."
0: The man for doctor husband.
1: Yes, I also like her marriage. Marriage. I don't even know what that is, but uh, Uh, I like that. Lots of doctors too. Yeah,
0: she's. These are chunked according to theme, and so there's one for all the Christmas ones, like that that are you know uh, Christmas pregnant paradise. (laughs)
1: <laughs>
0: Wait, the boss's The impossible
1: secret- <laughs> Santa wife. <I laughs> the like that boss's name.
0: secret conspiration to Christmas wish. What does that even mean? Uh, then there's all uh, the cowboy ones. Yeah,
1: midwife cowpoke.
0: Under the cowboy. That just gets right
1: to it. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, you I know. In the mountain for the tender seduction. <laughs> Good.
0: Uh, dangerously seduction.
1: Naked hot ranger.
0: <laughs> the sex lover. <laughs>
1: I, some of them someone, uh boy, a lot of fear sob over the boss
0: <laughs> married in fear mm-hmm. and then there's words that aren't actually words these are the failures and near I like the failures, yes the seeping baby man
1: <laughs> it's like some of these start sound like horror movies the juggers Captive
0: something bachelor
1: Glored in the dark
0: <laughs> Nukin's buddy mans <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. <laughs> a perfect giantess. That's like a fantasy. Like that's, that's a weird. Yeah, like. that's a yeah,
0: fantasy yeah. romance. Uh,
1: oh, and she discovered that surgery by the sea. One of them generated was a real novel <laughs> published <laughs> in 1979. So anyway, Probably. it's fun, kind of you know, looking at tropes I guess mm-hmm. you know uh patterns but somebody should do
0: something. this with sci-fi novels too
1: I, I this I was going to say this is it happens to be romance but you could do this with any genre like for mm-hmm. a while electric lit was doing like create your literary fiction novel based on the 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 the, the title of your literary fiction novel based on like a couple of criterion uh And it was sort of Mad Libs for you know uh, in the time of our in the time of our weeping, you know that kind of stuff (laughs) like that.
0: Impossible Santa wife.
1: (laughs) I saw that was that was that's so beautiful. The Sheik's Convenient Desires. (laughs) I don't even know what that is. So that's our laugh to get us out of here. Thanks so much to our three sponsors: Book of the Month, Caraval, and uh, and uh, Genius, the con for sponsoring this week's show. You can find links to all of these show notes. We'd love to hear your feelings about. Oh well, if you've tried Canopy. I'd like to hear that. Also, if you do have good links about dog science stuff, good links. I'm serious, good links about science and dogs and listening to stuff. Um, I, I actually generally am inter- interested in, in this for for a variety of reasons. But uh, let us know about that. Um, also, if you if you're the kind if you've already done audiobooks for your dog, I'd like to know that. We will not mock you. I promise, we won't. Um, and And if you are looking for just background audiobooks to play, seriously go to librivox l i b r o v o x get free audiobooks of classics you know they don 't have they don 't they 're out of copyright so you can make all the audiobooks you want out of them it 's the pro it 's project Gutenberg for audiobooks is really what it is and the quali- sound quality can vary, but some of them are pretty good uh, if you 're looking for something to play in the background or for other reasons of You know, you want big back catalog of audiobooks. Check that out.
0: Oh, yeah. Oh, and I just checked. It's actually L-I-B-R-I-V-O-X.
1: Oh, is that right? I've been saying it wrong this whole time. Mm -hmm. My mistake. Uh, So there you go. Thank you for that on-the-fly emendation. Uh, You can email us at podcast at bookriot.com. You can find show notes for this and all back episodes of the Book Riot podcast at com slash listen. Also, the fourth episode of Annotated is out. It's about it's James one. Joyce's Ulysses. It is the story that got me excited about doing the whole series. I read this a little clip of this story in um, a biography written by Bob Bernstein, who was the longtime CEO of Penguin Random House. It was a few pages, and then I read a couple other books, and I was off to the races. So if that's enough of a hook to get you to try, if you haven't tried animated before, that should do it. I think I think if you're interested in books and literary history and publishing history, you'll find this very interesting.
0: It's book smuggling on par with like smuggling booze into the yes. US during prohibition. It's great. Yes,
1: it's really good. And then thank you all so much for those of you who have rated and reviewed the show, show on Apple Podcasts. It means a lot to me. There's more than 135 star reviews and more than 70, um, uh, 135 star ratings and more than 70 really great, helpful, positive reviews of the show and i think that's been helping people find it so got two more to do before the season is over i'm um, not too late to jump on the board the annotated annotated train you can find it wherever podcasts are also dot slash annotated we'll talk to you next week i will probably be in a regular setup next week yeah back 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 to our regular regular scheduled regular um, no, levels of awkwardness uh, regular, regular regularly scheduled nonsense
0: <laughs> have a good one
1: all right talk to you later guys